This is the Cato Daily Podcast for Friday, June 3rd, 2022. I'm Caleb Brown. It's been more than 30 years since an anonymous lone man stood down tanks in Tiananmen Square. And yet for the Chinese government, that event still loudly resonates. When Robert Anthony Peters was seeking screenings of his film Tank Man, which tells the story of how that iconic man's day might have looked, he discovered that the long arm of the Chinese state has incredible reach. We spoke in April in Las Vegas. A few years ago, you made a short film called Tank Man. And it's interesting because we know nothing about that man who stood in front of that tank at Tiananmen Square. And you sort of imagined what his day might have been like and how he might have just been a normal guy who was fed up and decided to take matters into his own hands. And of course, when Ed Crane, who created the Milton Friedman Prize for Advancing Liberty, when he talks about who should receive that prize, that's the image he goes to as a man standing in front of a tank, uh, you know, moving to one side as the tank tries to go around him. I mean, really just in in the boldest possible way saying, you're going to have to kill me. I mean, really. And so you, you made this film and... um there were problems before and after making it that uh, sort of, I think, highlight the degree to which China exerts its influence around the world. Yes. Well, of course, that image is an inspiration, as you were saying, not, not just Ed Crane, of course, or to folks in the liberty movement, but to people around the world. Uh, there's a great documentary about um, about the Tiananmen, Tiananmen Square protests and massacre uh, that had an, uh, an interview uh, with a journalist who said he was in Berlin later that year and interviewing people who were rushing up to the wall with sledgehammers. And he asked one fellow, hey, wh- why is it you think you can go and do this? And he said, you know, if that Chinese guy could do what he did then so can we. I mean, so this is an incredible global inspiration, of course, in everywhere, as the prophet is not recognized in his homeland, except for mainland China, who refuses to uh, you know, recognize this event for what the rest of us see it as. Well, really, even that it occurred. <laughs> <laughs> they, they did about a year after they aired this footage on government news. And they said, we're showing you this because we want to show, display how wonderful and restrained our great military is in that this insane man walked in front of the tank and they chose not to run him over. Now, I will give credit to the man in the tank for his level of humanity that he was not willing to run, run them, that, that gentleman over. And I, I think this is one of our causes for optimism uh, that that. There are both sides. There is the bravery to stand in front of the tank, and there's the bravery to violate something he very clearly could have done, which would have been, you know, I'm sure without repercussions, he could have ran that man over. So you you uh, had this film screened in the U.S. and um, attempted to have it screened in China. Well, that's true. I did submit to uh, Chinese film festivals. In fact, I, I was informed that I was accepted to a film festival in China. However, I could not get any details about 
whether that actually occur- occurred or not. And I'm quite confident that it did not occur. That it was not a real yeah, film festival. Yeah, possibly. Uh, but, you know, they certainly took my entry fee, um, as, which is not uncommon with film festivals anyways. So what were, what were some of the issues that sort of surprised you in, in making this and uh, before and after? Yeah, so, you know, production went as production normally does with, uh, with films, which, you know, is, is a combination of uh, disaster and triumph and, uh, and everything in between. But the real fascinating part was when I was casting and I, I wanted an all Chinese cast uh, to have a, a, a sense of authenticity to the story. And much to my surprise, which thinking back, I shouldn't have been surprised in any way, but many actors emailed me before, some before even auditioning, but some before callback saying, you know, I, I can't even consider doing this project because I am either from China and need to go back at some point, or I hope to visit China someday and I'm, I'm an American, or I have family back in China and I'm concerned about the repercussions to them if I do this project. Uh, and this is something that, you know, much as we may challenge freedom in the U.S., at times, and there's very valid reasons to do so. Nobody thinks twice about doing an anti-Trump film or an anti-Biden film or any number of a, a host of, especially of historical treatment. You know, to to make something that maybe would challenge American policy. Uh, you know, with the Indians uh, during the 1800s or or civil rights um, and how that might have been handled. I mean, we were used to doing things like that, but these people understood there are grave repercussions for challenging the dominant narrative in China. And to be clear, you shot this in Los Angeles. It's not like you shot this in mainland China. No, that's yeah, that that never would happen. Um, as you probably know, you know, even if you if you Google uh Tiananmen Square massacre or try to 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 do some sort of online search, especially when you're in China, you you won't come up with any of the images that we can come up with in the U.S. You will just get pictures of uh, Tiananmen Square at at peace. So what about after? So after we encountered some fascinating uh, results as far as um, submitting our film to to film festivals, we, we've gotten great reception at many film festivals and garnered a lot of awards. Um, uh, just in in a variety of them, a variety of themes and locations in the U.S. The festivals I was convinced we'd be in a shoe in for were the Asian American film festivals, which there are a number of them: in San Francisco and Boston, and you know, in towns you you that would shock you uh, in the U.S. There, there's a good number of them, and I submitted to each one of those. I was only accepted to one which was the uh, Houston Asian American Pacific Islander Film Festival. And I was rather stunned by that because here's a story that is set in China, has an all Chinese cast. This to me was perfectly built for Asian film festivals uh, because, I mean, you know, there's a lot of indie films and short films that are made but how many are geared specifically towards that subject matter? 
Um, not a tremendous number, but the fact that we were not accepted to any of those except for one was staggering to me. And this is somewhat highlighted by, I wanted to hold, I live in Tucson, Arizona, and I wanted to hold a screening on the anniversary on June 4th, 2019, the 30th anniversary. And uh, so I contacted, we have a, a pretty, a very beautiful Tucson Chinese uh, cultural center there. And I had sent them an email uh, requesting to use their auditorium that evening for a screening of a film. And they said, yeah, absolutely. We, we'd welcome that. We've, we've got an opening. Terrific. Email back and forth a couple of times. And then they ask, so, you know, what is it that you'd like to, to screen? I said, well, I made a film and this is what it's about. To this day, I can't get them to respond to a phone call or an email. So your experience is not unique. I recognize that. Um, and especially in the context of people who've made films. Yeah. There I have, uh, there was a counterpart who was um, making a film at the same time I was dealing with The Great Leap Forward. It's a beautiful film called Empty Skies. I urge you to check that out as well. And they were the stu they were student filmmakers so they are eligible for all sorts of other things including a student um academy award and they were shortlisted for that they could not get get accepted to any asian american film festivals either if i'm not mistaken empty skies is about uh it's sort of a story a, a true story uh about efforts to eliminate pests from the air uh, that was undertaken by Mao's government mm -hmm. and the, shall we say, negative consequences of having done that. Yeah, it's, uh, it's a tragedy and it's a, a period of time they still refer to as the time of natural disasters, which of course it was anything but. This was Mao's brilliant idea to eliminate what they considered a pest, the sparrow eating grain. Um, but what he failed to recognize is that more important than grain, the sparrow eats the locusts, which of course, without their predator, the locusts consumed the grain in staggering quantities leading to yeah, it's a an pretty innumerable stunning, it's amount a pretty of stunning story. Uh, so they, they found themselves with, you know, tremendous reviews. Uh, people really liked the film and then what? Nothing. Just extreme difficulty trying getting it screened anywhere. Oh yeah, I mean we we all kind of rely on our our friends, as it were, in in the world to kind of share the word about our films because there's all these official channels that are too afraid to um, to to display uh, the the films that we've made, and of course this is you know the. There's bigger Hollywood stories of this, you know, uh, the Chinese both funding of Top Gun and the uh, anticipated distribution in China of Top Gun caused them to take that iconic leather jacket and remove the Japanese flag and the Taiwanese flag because these would prove to be offensive to Chinese funders and the Chinese market. Yeah, I, I recall years ago, I saw a movie, I believe it was called The Manchurian Candidate, with uh, Frank Sinatra, yes. among others, a Angela Lansbury, I yes. think, was in yeah. that as well. And um, then they remade that movie. And the bad guy wasn't China. 
it was a corporation called Chicom Global. Yeah. And uh, so, and this was an American company. And yes. so that, you know, that, um, that movie was reframed so as not to make, you know, a totalitarian government the bad guy. Uh, and then I can remember Red Dawn uh, oh, having yes. been remade uh, in such a way that I think they were they were set on having China be the bad guy in that movie. Of course, the Soviet Union was the the bad guy in the original Red Dawn, which of course was very controversial at the time as well. But uh, North Korea, yeah, uh, which, which of course is absurd, right? That North Korea, I mean, they can barely patrol their borders, let alone invade a foreign land across an ocean. Uh, but as we've seen from uh, Xi Jinping's military parades on the 80th anniversary, I mean, China is building their military to staggering levels. What does your experience tell you or what should people take away from your experience having, you know, tried to make a film and then having witnessed uh, other films? These are short films. They're not, these are not like stunning assaults on current events. Your, the event that you uh, you depicted in your film was was almost 30 years old. The film of uh, Empty Skies was 60, 70 years old. 70 years old. Yeah. 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 We, we're telling stories that we would consider to be way back in history. But so let me come at this from a slightly different direction. I had originally wanted to make stories that attacked the Soviet Union. And, you know, that really, to me, I feel like, academia neglects the horrors of that time and place. And I really wanted to tell stories about the gulag. But I looked and said, China is, there's a continuity of that government that has never had to apologize, has never changed from its actions at that period. And to this day, either denies them or ignores them. There's, there's no sense of uh, needing to apply for an apology, to ask for forgiveness, to no mea culpa. I mean, this is just, I mean, even Khrushchev, you know, had some small conscience that he was able to say, you know, yes, we shouldn't have done this, that, that had yet to happen with China. And so to me, it's, it's important that we do this. And the, and the fact that even projects so small as that we have created such a, the tiniest possible threat has gotten slapped down, to me, just shows that it is that much more important that we do more of these uh, and that we continue um, to poke the bear on this issue. Robert Anthony Peters is the producer and director of the short film Tank Man, which you can have screened at your pleasure. We spoke in April in Las Vegas. Subscribe to and give a rating to the Cato Daily Podcast on your podcast platform of choice and follow us on Twitter at Cato Podcast.